Hey guys, my name is Joe and I'm one of the church planning residents here at the well. Uh, this morning, as Tyler said, we're going to kick off the Advent season. But before we do, man, I just want you guys to know that we miss you guys. Uh, we're thankful for you guys. We hope you had a good Thanksgiving and, and we, we look forward to the day that we can once again come back and, and gather together and do, do church and, and community together. So like I said, we're going to kick off the Advent season this morning, and Advent symbolizes the present situation of the church in these last days as God's people wait for the return of Christ. The church is in a similar situation to Israel at the end of the Old Testament. They're in exile, they're waiting, they're hoping, and they're in prayerful expectation for this, this coming Messiah. And Israel would constantly look back to God's past gracious actions on, on their behalf, leading them out of Egypt in the Exodus. And on this basis, they would call on God to act once again. And in the same way, the church today, we get to look back during the Advent season, we get to look back and celebrate the birth of the Messiah, but at the same time, we get to look forward in eager anticipation to the coming of Christ's kingdom when he returns to his people. So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, and I'm going to ask that you stand with us. I know you guys are at home, but I'm going to ask that you guys just stand with us as we read God's word this morning. Isaiah 9 verse 1 says, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. And in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan the Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, and they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle of tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, he will do this. Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this morning. God, as we just stand here and in an empty room. God, we know that you are present. You are among your people, even though that we're scattered out. And God, I just pray for this uh, a season of peace, God, that only you can give. And God, as we open up your word, and, and we do, we look back to celebrate the coming Messiah, but we look forward to, uh, to realize and to understand what Christmas is all truly about, and it's about your son. Father, we love you. And we thank you for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So Isaiah's message for the nation of Israel, it was simple and it was made up of two components. And really, this is kind of the common theme throughout the whole book. In one hand, we're going to see judgment. God's going to judge Israel due to the injustice, the idolatry, and the rebellion that's just kind of run rampant through the people of Israel. But in the other hand, we're going to see hope. Because Isaiah believed that one day God would fulfill all of his covenant promises by one, sending a king, this being Jesus, from the lineage of David to establish his kingdom, and two, that this king or or Jesus would lead Israel in obedience to the law. And we see that through Jesus' perfect life. Now all all of this was so is that God's blessing and his salvation would flow outward to all the nations like God had promised Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. So God places this vision and this calling deep within inside of Isaiah that compels him to speak out against Israel's corruption and idolatry. Now the man who's responsible for the kingdom of Judah there in the south was a man named King Ahaz. King Ahaz was about 20 years old when he began to reign. And King Ahaz, and, and just kind of reading through his life, he was a terrible leader, uh, and he was, a, he was an awful king who was really just looking out for himself. He's all over the place. He's making sacrifices, it says, in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. And it says that he even offers his own son as a sacrifice, a burnt offering. So as you can see here, there's, there's just a lot of wickedness. There's just a lot of idolatry taking place here at this time. The year is about 720, 722 B.C. And Isaiah, he's trying to to counsel this madman, King Ahaz. He's trying to counsel him into trusting God. So this is where Isaiah makes this prophecy concerning the coming Messiah that we're going to look at this morning. But before we do, one thing I, want to, I just want to do to kind of set up this week as well as next week is I just want to kind of define prophecy. Make sure we're just all on level playing field. Prophecy is sharing a future outcome. It's not a prediction. Isaiah's, he's not like a weatherman who's basing and predicting things on possible outcomes that based on what's going on around the, the kingdom. So I, I feel as though uh, even the best, the greatest prophet would have trouble predicting the weather here in West Texas. But what he's doing is, is he's foretelling what's going to happen, what's going to take place. And the way he speaks of it, uh, it's like it's already taken place. And the only way that this would be possible is if a sovereign all-knowing, all-powerful God places this vision and this calling deep inside of them. So now as we shift to our text, we're going to see here in verse 1, it says that there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. So this gloom or this darkness and this, this suffering that we see just right off the bat is a carryover from Isaiah chapter 8, where Isaiah has been pronouncing judgment. In fact, he tells uh, the Lord tells Isaiah, why don't you grab a large tablet, grab some witnesses, and write this down. Because before this woman has a baby, and before this baby can cry out, my father or my mother, Assyria is going to rule over you guys. He's going to oppress, and he's gonna, they're going to enslave Israel. So this land that they're talking about, up in the northern regions, it's going to come under persecution first. So we see the judgment here in one hand. But remember, in the other hand, what soon follows is the hope. And it says that in the latter time, meaning when the Messiah comes, that this same area, 
that's experiencing persecution first is going to be the same area that gets to experience the light or the hope that we're going to see. In fact, when you read Matthew chapter 4, we see this prophecy, one of these prophecies come to light, come to fulfillment. So Jesus has just left the wilderness where he's gone head to head with Satan. And Matthew records it like this. He says, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles is how he says it. But Isaiah says Galilee of the nations. So this is a significant area because King Solomon gave a lot of this land away and it was full of Gentiles now. Now the Jews and the Gentiles, they didn't like each other. In fact, the Jews thought that the Gentiles were unclean and unworthy and really too far for God to stretch out to reach and to save them. But that's not, as, as, as we keep reading through Matthew chapter 4, that's not what we see. We see that verse 16 says, The people dwelling in darkness, they have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. Church, this light is Jesus. It's Jesus, and we're going to see that Jesus would do most of his ministry in this northern area, which is around the Sea of Galilee. And then when you look at verse 3, it says that you have multiplied the nation, and I want to point this out. Remember, he's speaking a prophecy. It's as if it's already taken place, but yet he's speaking really 700, Isaiah speaking 700 years into the future is what he's doing. And, he's, and he says, you have multiplied the nation, meaning Jesus has multiplied the nation. And it says, Jesus, you have increased its joy. And it says, they rejoice before you, Jesus, as with joy at the harvest, as they were glad when they divide the spoil. And it says, for the yoke of the burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressors, he says, you have broken as on the day of Midian. You see, after Isaiah's pronounced judgment, he now turns and he's been sharing about this light and this, this hope, this coming Messiah who's, who's going to set God's people free once and for all. Because when, when the Israelites, when they hear these words, uh, the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the, the rod of his oppressor, when they hear these words, they're going to be reminded of their ancestors who were enslaved in Egypt and how God used this man named Moses to deliver them through the Red Sea on dry ground and just close the door and close that chapter of, of slavery. Then he gives us another example of just a great victory, and he uses Gideon and the Midianites from Judges chapter 7. And he takes an army of about 32,000 people, and he shrinks it down to 300 men. And he tells them to take a bunch of torches and a bunch of trumpets, and I want you to go down there, and I want you to circle the Midianites, and I just want you to yell and blow on these trumpets. And victory will be yours. You see, God was promising victory. He was promising to deliver the people through his hand and through his might. And that's the same victory that we're going to see that this little baby, this little Messiah, this little infant is going to bring. You see, as awesome as all this sounds, we've got to remember that Isaiah, what he's doing is he's communicating with the nation of Israel and with this madman, King Ahaz. And he's trying to tell them, don't lose hope. 
Quit worrying about all this malarkey. Quit worrying about yourself. Turn and repent. Turn to God. He is our deliverer. And he affirms this with verse 5, which is a guarantee. Claiming victory. He's claiming victory that the Messiah is going to have Uh, Just like he had over Egypt, just like Gideon had over the Midianites. But the Messiah is going to have victory over every battle from now on, including death. Now this is a message of hope. This is a message of hope. Like I said, this was true back in 720 B.C., This was true when Jesus was born 700 years later. And this is true here 2,000 years later from the birth of Jesus in 2020. Because here's the truth. If there was ever a time of darkness, church, it's now. This year has been a a year full of gloom. It's been a year full of anguish. And for most people, this may be one of the darkest years you've ever experienced in your life. Full of anxiety, full of depression. COVID has just caused chaos in all of our lives. Some of us, uh, we have family members and loved ones that have been hospitalized that we can't even go visit. Some of us have even lost loved ones due to COVID. Financial hardships has has really just kind of pressed on everybody. And it seems like this year is never going to end. But this, church, this is what I love about Advent. This is what I love about Christmas. It's not the presents. It's not the music. It's not the lights. But it's about the hope. The hope that this coming Messiah brings for a nation who just longed for peace. So as we've gone through verses 1 through 5, we're seeing Isaiah has showed us who Christmas is for. It's for us. It's for the church. It's for the people of darkness. And he's trying to tell us that just hold tight because there's hope. There's hope on the horizon. So now as we transition to our next two verses, we're going to see really who Christmas is all about. Verse 6 says this. It says, for to us, isn't that cool? Isaiah is writing this 27 centuries ago. For to us, it sounds like he's writing it to us today. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. You see, when something is mentioned twice in the Hebrew, they're wanting to emphasize something. And the reason they're emphasizing this is because this is talking about the incarnation. The Messiah will come as a full, fully man, and yet he's going to be fully God. And in fact, Isaiah 7 tells us this. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So this prophecy of the birth of Emmanuel reminds us that this victory bringing Messiah would, in fact, be a man. And theoretically, the Messiah could have been an angel. He could have been God without humanity. I mean, he, he could have been, he could have come as a fully grown man, as Adam did back in the Garden of Eden. But none of these options would have qualified the Messiah to be our Savior and our high priest as Jesus was, because the child had to be born. 
We needed, excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. The child had to be born. A son had to be given, which automatically takes me to John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, we needed a perfect, infinite being to offer a perfect, infinite atonement for our sins. And the only one who was capable to do this was Emmanuel. Remember, God with us. So Jesus, being both God and man, tells us that man really is made in the image of God. And that perfect humanity is more compatible with the deity than we can even imagine. It says that our problem is not our humanity, but our problem is our fallenness. You see, because Jesus, he was fully human, but yet he was perfect. So it's more accurate as opposed to us saying, I'm only human. It's more accurate for us to say, I've only fallen. You know the song, the Christmas song, it says, come all you faithless. It should say, come all you faithless. Or come all you faithful, excuse me. It should say, come all you faithless. Because that's who we are. We're a people of darkness and wickedness and idolatry. And we needed a Savior to come save us from the sin and the darkness that our hearts have produced. And to think, all of this comes in just this little package. This little, innocent, perfect, dependent child. This little baby. And we see that the government's going to be on his shoulders. Think about the expectations of that. In fact, think about the original audience and what they think. Like, this is, he's going to come in the form of a baby? Like, how is this going to be possible? And the government's going to be on his shoulders? I'm telling you, I'm just hoping that one day my kids just move out and can provide for themselves because they're about to eat me out of a house. Much less the government rests on their shoulders. The expectations are just crazy. And look at this. His name, singular, not plural. His name is these four things which are inseparable. They can't just have one of these. You get, you get all of these. He's the wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's the everlasting father. And we're going to see he is the prince of peace. You see, Jesus is all of these to us. He's not just this counselor who sits on a couch and gives you an ear to listen, and you can pay him $100 when it's done. He, he, he's, he's so much more than that, because he, is the, he gives the wisest counsel. Jesus gives the best advice, the best directions. In fact, his teachings, they're, they're breathtaking. And we see through the, through the Gospels that they've even acknowledged that no one has ever spoken like this, that he must come from God. It says that he's a mighty God. He's strong and he's fierce, and yet he's compassionate and he's meek. He's the lion and he's the lamb. He even commands the winds and the waves to stop. We see his might as he even conquers death. He's the everlasting father, which means he is creator, he is sustainer, he is our provider, because he's infinite. And we see he's also the prince of peace, the peace that passes all understanding. Jesus is our mediator between one another, but he's also our mediator between a sinful, dark, just uh, nasty, fallen human and a holy, righteous God. He is our mediator. 
And church, this, this is who Christmas is all about. Emmanuel, Jesus. And now we're going to see in verse 7, this is what he's going to do. Because he's coming to rule. It says that his government's going to increase and his peace that he brings will increase because he says it will. He's coming to rule. He's coming to reign. And under his kingship, there will be no end. And let me tell you, he's not like King Ahaz who's looking out for himself. In fact, he's looking out for us. So much so that he's willing to lay his life down on our behalf. He's a king that we, we can't even really grasp his goodness and his grace. And in his kingship, he's going to rule with justice and righteousness forever. And church, let me assure you of this today. Because the zeal of the Lord of hosts, he will do this. So like I said earlier, if there was ever a time for a need of hope, it's now. It's now. And just like we, we've just kicked off Advent this morning, we really are in the same boat as Israel was at the end of the Old Testament. But we're not here waiting and anticipating this coming Messiah, this baby to be born. It's already happened. In fact, we're on the other side of the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So what do we do? If the Messiah has already come, what do we do? Well, church, we wait. We anticipate. We pray. And we proclaim of the second coming. You see, we've been in the book of Acts, and we've been doing a series called The Church Reset. And in Acts chapter 1, I feel like this really sums this all up, because I feel like this may be a year to where we need a Christmas reset. And in Acts chapter 1, it says that Jesus is hung back 40 days after he's resurrected. He's hanging back with his disciples, and they ask him this question. They say, Lord, is it, is it time for you to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he tells them, it's not for you to know, and it's not for you to worry about. But he tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And he says, and you will be my witnesses, church, in Jerusalem, and all of Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And it says, when he has said these things, this cloud comes and takes Jesus up. He ascends to the right hand of the Father. And it says that they gazed into heaven, and behold, two men stood by in white robes, and they said this, men of Galilee... Remember that area, the Sea of Galilee? Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way as you saw him go. You see, church, Jesus is coming back. And we look with eager anticipation. And we pray and we long for that day that he comes and he establishes his kingdom with his church, his bride, forever. So church, just like Isaiah shares with King Ahaz and the, the nation of Israel, I want to share with you. Don't lose hope. There's hope on the horizon because of this. For to us a child has been born, to us a son has been given. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for your goodness and your grace. God, I thank you that you take sinful people like myself, God, 
people of darkness and gloom and anguish and suffering. And God, yet you, you use us. You use us to proclaim your glory and to proclaim your son Jesus. God, we are so thankful. We are so thankful for this perfect little babe, this Messiah that's come to save the world by laying his life down. God, we thank you for the power and the might that he conquered death and he raised his life up. God, we thank you as a church for our salvation. So Father, in this darkness, in this gloom, God, be with us. Emmanuel, be with us, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray.